0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is why it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Across the way, as usual, is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, another week of college football in the books. Another week of the NFL closing as we are recording this tonight. How are you doing, my friend?
1: It's sort of the last big weekend of a string of, you know, three, four, like a month's worth of uh, just marathon running, basically, uh, you know, in the journey of life. And after this weekend, we get a little bit of a break. So I didn't get all the, the football in here, but Monday Night Football logging in after this and, and enjoying what I hope to be a pretty good game.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Every single week, I feel, of the college football season, I I do feel like there's so much to talk about as we're pushing now towards, you know, towards the middle of October. You know, we're getting a lot of games now under our belt. Guys are rising. Guys are disappointing a little bit that maybe the expectations were set a little bit high you know, it, it's a fun part of the college football year here as we turn to the, the second half stretch there, rest of October, all of November, before we kind of hit like championship week there in early December. And then we did the, the long lull before bowl season, but there's always so much to talk about. Let's kind of jump right into the 2023 NFL draft stock report. You know, a couple big things, you know, Bryce Young missed this game versus Texas A&M due to injury. His absence was greatly felt. C.J. Stroud, 21 of 26, 361 yards, six touchdowns. He continues uh, to be checking off boxes. Will Levis miss this game? I do think one of the the surprising things, and and I know you had mentioned it on like a CBS Sports mock draft, but Jordan Renan, a really, really good Giants beat writer who works for ESPN, a lot of connections, on a Giants podcast last week, they were just talking, you know, he was taking questions that people posted and Will Levis's name came up and Renan said from all the people that he's hearing, they think by the time it's all said and done, Will Levis is going to be the first pick in the draft. And that kind of, that kind of, it kind of like came out of nowhere. This wasn't like, it was like talking about this. It wasn't to like, you know, kind of like stir or create something. Like it was just kind of like, yeah, all of his sources are saying that that's where this is heading, and that kind of surprised me. So I just thought it was something to at least kind of kind of put out there. Uh, Taylor Van Dyke this past week, 42 of 57, 496 yards and three touchdowns. Tennessee rolling over LSU. Hendon Hooker, another really productive game, very efficient, 239 and two touchdowns. Jeff, any thoughts on what I mentioned about Will Levis? the uh Van Dyke this past weekend, Hendon Hooker continuing to to kind of surprise any of the quarterback position that you kind of want to hit on.
1: It's it's sort of holding serve here. Uh obviously I think Kentucky even struggled with Levis out too, right? So when you talk yep. about Young leaving, Levis leaving, and the offense is just looking not like they could really sustain that says something about the quarterback behind center, right? Um it's not this just plug and play you know, system offense. We had a little uh, chat about, you know, Bo Nix this weekend, right? It's not just this system offense that, you know, you're plugging in some guy who can execute with some athleticism and, you know, produce some numbers, you know, get the team moving. You know, these, these are clearly talented players that when not there to help their teams, their teams are struggling. And so that says something about, you know, the level of their play. So that's just, I mean, it's almost like you... You don't see them out on the field. You don't see any stats, but you're also still getting information just about just how you know valuable and talented they are because you see the difference when they're not there. Um, I, I highlighted uh, Van Dyke because I, I mean it's. I feel like we're talking about Van Dyke the same way we're talking about Richardson, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, I just find Van Dyke to be like an extremely interesting, you know, storyline because I don't know that you know, I don't know that his storyline is one to the, the 2023 draft or not. And I don't know if his storyline is one for even, you know, the season that Miami has, or, you know, does he go into a transfer portal with, if we've talked about the, the system not matching his skills. And yet here we are, we said that last week and we've got 57 passes, 500 yards. I mean, this is what Van Dyke at his best does. And, it's just, in my mind, I don't know that coaches are flexible enough to change their entire philosophy to bend around, you know, a talented player. It, it kind of takes a rare coach to be able to do that. So I don't know that that's what we're, we're going to see some magic transition to leverage Van Dyke's kind of gunslinging skills. But it's something I'm paying attention to. And I'm paying attention to, you know, what he's doing in these moments and what that, where he takes his story. Cause I, I have no idea. I have no idea where he's going to take his story next. And I, I think it's just a, it's just a fascinating thing to follow.
0: Yeah. And, and listen, we talked about it. He's only a red sophomore, so he's got time on his side. If he wants to go back to school, if he wants to transfer, if he wants to say, you know, NFL teams are still going to be intrigued with me. I got traits, you know, we'll see. Maybe it doesn't mean he's going to go top 10 anymore, top 20, maybe not even around one, but maybe traits are good enough to at least go somewhere on day two and, and have a shot. Like he's a lot of different paths where, where he could kind of go. You know, and that's the, that's the interesting thing. Like, does he choose a path that could eventually get him to be a top 10 type of player? You know, does he, you know, so that's, that's the path of, of what does he do? Does he go back to Miami? Does he transfer? Does he declare, you know, and, and the same could be said about Anthony Richardson a little bit, right? Like a lot of traits, a lot of skill. Uh, but they do both have not a lot of experience playing. So they have the option where if they choose to go back, I don't think that's going to be looked at as a negative in any capacity. Many NFL people might look at it as a positive, like unlike compared to I know we have a couple older prospects. We talked about, you know, Michael Penix last week. We talked about Hendon Hooker. Those guys are a little bit older than than what's out than than the norm. But it does. It all it's all part of the picture. So some of these guys who are really toolsy, but have been up and down, it's gonna be interesting to kind of follow their paths, to, to kind of see, uh, you know, what path they choose to take. Uh, Jeff, before we take it over to the running backs, any new quarterbacks that 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 should maybe be being talked a little bit about in terms of our watch list, guys that we should be considering maybe getting our eyes on, you know, in the second half of this college football season, uh, that stood out maybe.
1: Really, um I, I, I think we might have mentioned him a little while ago. The the only one that I have noted here is Jordan Travis, but it's it's really um it's monitoring from afar because I'm not really sure how far he's pushing up. I when we I can't remember which Florida State game it was, it was
0: week one. We that first that, one against LSU.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was it. And you know, you really noticed some high caliber play there. And I don't know if it's something systematic. I haven't watched a ton of those games after that, but the box scores are a little bit shaky up and down. And so I don't know. And it's very common with, with quarterbacks at this level with quarterbacks that are trying to put these pieces together to become pros is a lot of them show high level traits at times. And it's about hitting that consistency making it you know those high level plays not 50 percent of the time not 80 percent of the time but you know not even missing those two three plays a game that make a difference at the nfl level right and and obviously that that's what gets a college quarterback to like an nfl quarterback and a good nfl quarterback is when they they don't make those misses those those three to five plays that affect a game every single weekend you know those are the ones that are good winning franchise quarterback makes and your guys that wind up into kind of backup careers, you know, maybe hit occasionally. Right. And so it, for me with Travis, it's just maybe getting a little bit of eyes to see if the flashes that I saw in that LSU game are still there. Kind of like when I saw Richardson and his down box scores didn't necessarily reflect poorly on his level of play his level of play even in the the bad games was pretty outstanding and it's just about building upon those blocks so that's what I was would look for for Travis
0: yeah and and florida state is kind of like my team that I always follow really closely in the college football landscape obviously as as I got into Saturday Sunday I started to get eyes more on you know things that were more relevant for the podcast so I, it hasn't really been appointment viewing TV. Florida State as they hit hard times, but I have watched enough Travis that I do think the inconsistencies in the up and down are a little bit, uh, a little bit attached to the fact that the team is still very inconsistent and they're they've turned it a little bit, but they still have their moments where they look like they're they're arriving and other moments where they still you see that they're still a little bit ways away. And I, I do think Travis is an intriguing player. I like him and even when he has like an up and down type box score, I still think there's moments that that intrigue me. So he would he is a guy that intrigues me to get eyes on closer a little bit, maybe, you know, the second half of the year we talked about Michael Panic's last week. Uh, We talked about doing a little bit of a deeper dive on Hendon Hooker. I think Jordan Travis is kind of probably next in line in in terms of the quarterbacks. Uh, So, so I do think he'll be someone uh, fun to kind of watch and see what we think of him trying to just isolate him away from the surroundings a little bit in terms of what he's bringing to the table uh, for sure. So let's take this over to the running backs. And I do think, as we've talked about and we'll talk about again tonight, the wide receivers at the top haven't really held serve, but the running backs for the most part, I think, have. And this week, again, continue to reiterate that B. John Robinson, 130 yards rushing, uh, chipping in, in the past game like usual. Jameer Gibbs, 21 carries, 154 yards you know, a couple catches, you know, he was the best player on the football field on the offensive, on either side offensively in that Alabama, Texas A&M game, you know, and, and I was talking to former, uh, you know, collaborator here at Saturday Sunday, Brandon Jones and one of my best friends. And he was saying, man, he's, he's got speed. And it's weird because Gibbs is a guy that if you like look into the Debbie community and you look into what's out there. People think he's like a four four five guy, but then I found stuff that said Jameer Gibbs says he clocked four three two. Now players are always a little bit like a little bit estimating better than maybe they are, but I do think that maybe that four four five area it is not doing him justice because he does look even more explosive this year. Uh, that you know nobody thought Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were going to be sub 4-4 last year, and they were. So I'm trending towards you know Gibbs being that, but I think Gibbs is starting to kind of cement himself. And this is coming from a huge A-Chain fan, and maybe there's a team that just once looks at A-Chain in a certain way that maybe still would have A-Chain ahead of Jameer Gibbs. But if you're looking for a foundational piece in terms of that backfield, a guy who can be everything, be – Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler type, you know, workload. I think that's Jameer Gibbs. I think he's starting to cement himself in my opinion as the clear RB two. And then it's a little bit more up for grabs. I think that, so I think it's him and Dijon up at the top there. Uh, and this week just continued to confirm that Zach Charbonnet, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but really impressive performance this week, almost just shy of 200 yards. Uh, and that was against number 11, Utah. So that was an impressive game, uh, from him. Uh, Tank Bigsby could not get it going. If we were talking about the big guys, he had 10 carries 19 yards. So he had, he he struggled this week. Uh, Blake Quorum continued to be impressive, carrying heavy workload, 25 carries, 124 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so I think it was, again, the, the big guys kind of holding firm here a little bit. Uh, Zach Evans, 11 carries, 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, we talked a lot about him last week, so I'm going to you know, kind of work on a wait-and-see approach a little bit here with Zach Evans. But, Jeff, any thoughts either on the big guys – that I brought up or maybe anywhere else you want to take it at the running back position.
1: Yeah. I mean, so Charbonnet is, is really fascinating, right? I mean, he's got, he's got his fans and, you know, you talked about it as maybe Gibbs has a more athletic profile than, you know, we were giving him credit for maybe Charbonnet does too. I I don't see it. And I think the scheme at UCLA is really, effective to his talents and techniques. And I think that's really why we're seeing great production. And I mean that's phenomenal. It it sort of clicked for him when he he transferred out there last year too. And and you know, really started um re rebuilding the the stock that he had within the Debbie community and, and towards his draft stock. So we'll see where that takes him. Um, but I do think he's one of those players that might fade during the pre-draft process as people start getting excited about guys like Travis Dye, who had 150 yards for USC, right? And especially with U- USC like being in a more uh, high-profile, even on the West Coast, you know, ranked, playoff hopeful, big games, the, you know, he's going to be I'll have more eyeballs on him um when the moments matter i think and and so i think you're just gonna see i think you're gonna see other guys kind of pass charbonnet up and there's not enough on charbonnet's tape and film as for like a guy like ibrahim for me right there's not enough there that makes me really want to plant a flag and say i'm going after this guy i'm not a big production only and production first guy and that's kind of the biggest reason um, I'm already there with you with Gibbs as the second running back. I, I mean, I I think I've already said last week or something that if if size uh, measurables were were a threshold metric only and not sort of bonus credit for the freak that uh, Bijan is, you know, just the massive size speed combo that reminds us of Saquon. Like, I think Gibbs has enough nuance and talent and understanding of the position to be my top rated running back and it's only that you know Bijan gives us shades of saquon and we're seeing what saquon's doing that you know has me still probably have those guys right up there one two um it's really sad to see bigsby and he looked great and i don't know if he's still looking good and it's just auburn again but that's Kind
0: of sad to see, but yeah. Um, I mean, and, and I'll just say one thing: like Bigsby and, and and Evans, like they could choose to to go back, right? They could choose to transfer again. Probably not Evans again, but yeah, you know what I mean. Like these guys, like look what you know, a guy like Tank Bigsby might be like, look what look what the transfer has done for Jameer Gibbs, right? And yeah, like he could choose that path and be like, let me go attach myself somewhere else where maybe I could have this monster senior year. If he thinks he's fallen and what he's hearing is if he doesn't think he can go day two or round two or something, he might say, you know what, maybe I transfer somewhere else. I I attach myself to a better offense, you know, and maybe that's my ticket, right? So like all these guys we thought were going to maybe be in the day two mix, who's to say a couple of them don't choose to declare and 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 kind of say, you know what, we're going to wait a year. We're going to try to get ourselves into a better you know, better environment because now that's that's a legitimate thing now in college football, right? The transfer portal is changing the narrative a lot in terms of guys were kind of felt like they were almost stuck if they were going to transfer it was going to be given up two years of their career and like you you would never see a junior really who had any type of, you know, cloud in terms of the draft community transfer for their senior year, because then they were going to have to sit out. It, It was like a whole process. But now I feel like now you might see a guy stay for his senior year. If their junior year doesn't go as ideally planned, because they don't, they can get in the portal. They can find a spot that like exactly maybe suits what they want. And then maybe catapult that, you know, to to and running backs is kind of an easy, easier than some positions to kind of like just hit the ground running if you transfer. So it'll be interesting to kind of see if any of these guys who aren't maybe having the years that we thought they might, do they take that path? Do they come out and and kind of climb? You know, try to see the free draft process. Could kind of get them back, in you know, in in high demand, which I think it could for some of these guys for sure as well. Jeff, any any other running backs you kind of want to bring up here before we kind of transition over to the pass catchers, and we actually got a couple of tight ends to talk about today as well.
1: Well, maybe one last quick thought since we have so much to talk about. You know, as far as the transfer portal goes, too. You know, a guy like you know Bigsby could see what you know you said. Gibbs, but maybe even like a Travis Dye is doing down at, at USC and, you know, go to a big market where maybe they can find some NIL money too. And maybe that's, you know, part of the, the selling point for someone entering the transfer portal is now, you know, if they believe in that talent profile, they can sell them on the school with a little bit of auxiliary stuff without actually paying the athletes illegally. Um, so, you know, I think that, yeah, the landscape has changed, um, and we see every year some guy returning to school or returning to school and transfer in in sort of the recent uh,
0: history. Yeah, for sure. So it, it'll be it'll be it'll be something to watch with these guys because I still think I still think the running back class is going to be very strong. Like, however it is, plays out, I think the running back class is going to be stronger than it's been in years past. Uh, at the top, at the day two level. So it's going to be a fun running back class for sure. Let's transition over to the pass catchers, and let's actually start with the tight ends. And two of the better tight ends in college football had really, really big weeks. Sam Laporte nine catches, 100 yards. Michael Mayer, 11 catches, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. I, I think we're talking about two guys that are cemented as Mayer being Clearly, tight end one in this class with the Eric Gilbert continued to be missing in action. Uh, You know, at this point, you know I don't even know what to to really say about Eric Gilbert. Uh, But Michael Mayer is going to be the first tight end taken. I think that is almost a guaranteed lock. The question is, is he? more TJ Hawkinson in terms of how the NFL views him or is he more Pat Fryer mood or does he fall somewhere in the middle where he's not going in like the 40, 50 range, but he's not going top 10. Is he in that like 25 to like 35 range? I I think that's the question that kind of resumes about Michael Mayer, very balanced, similar to Hawkinson Fryer mood that he can block good pass catcher. Isn't this elite athlete is a good athlete, uh, But he's really gotten it going lately. And then Laporta, nine catches, 100 yards out of Iowa. We know Iowa makes good tight ends. Laporta is a guy who I think could easily be in the mix in, in the day two range. When I view Laporta and I watch Laporta, I think about last year's day two guys. I think about the Jelani Woods area where people thought maybe Kate Oden would go. I don't think he's at the level of a Trey McBride or Greg Dulcich in my eyes, but the guys that were after McBride and Dulcich, I think he's kind of in that mix uh, that we saw ahead of a guy like Daniel Bellinger in that mix where we saw guys last year. So I think Laporte is a guy who very much could be in the round three mix uh, for sure. When we eventually get to draft weekend, do you have any thoughts on Mayor Laporta? What you've seen of Mayor, I know I, I, I'm not sure you've done much of a deep dive, but obviously you've seen enough of him. Uh, do you have a, a, a take that whether you think he's closer to Hawkinson or closer to Fryermuth or how the NFL might view him? Do you have a stance on on, on Mayor yet in terms of which way you think the NFL might view him.
1: I think I'm going to have to get into the deep dive on the off season to really like find a nuance, but I think you've got the spectrum, right? Right. And we understand, you know, it's going to be from a fantasy lens. uh, Tight ends is really hard. I mean, we've, we're even seeing, you know, Kyle Pitts, the unicorn struggle on a fantasy lens, but we, we see how important players like Friar Muth, like Hawkinson, can be to their teams, Goddard, right? Another one for the Eagles had a big game last this last weekend, right? And, you know, the importance of reliable players to fill a need when the team needs them to step up on a certain week or within a certain game plan or within a certain scheme. And both these players, you know, did that for their college teams in games that really mattered, that they needed them to, without the production that they had, do either of those teams win that game? I, I, I don't think so, right? And so I think that is enough to really put a checkmark on your resume in what kind of feels like a disappointing draft class for the tight end position.
0: Yeah, it, it, we thought it had a lot of allure when we thought Gilbert was going to be this talent that might not be Kyle Pitts, but might be close to Kyle Pitts. And then Mayer, this really second piece that, like I said, somewhere in that spectrum of Fryer moved to Hawkinson. And if we had two of those, and then we had a couple guys like after the fact, the kid from South Dakota State and Laporta, that I thought it could be a pretty strong class. And now it, it kind of feels like, again, similar to last year, it, it, it's it's going to have some guys that are interesting And mayor will be highly regarded, but similar to how McBride was last year. But I'm not even sure now if the guys after mayor do they even warn as much excitement as what Dulcich and, and those guys did last year? It might, they might not. So, I mean, I'm still a believer. I like Tucker Craft a lot. I think the NFL is going to be intrigued with him and look at him as like a Dallas Goddard type prospect. So maybe, maybe if he's someone that intrigues NFL teams, you know, that that is somebody that makes it a little bit stronger of a class, but that that's hard to know right now from a smaller school prospect. So we'll have to follow that closely. Let's take this over to the, the other pass catchers. And that's the wide receivers. We've been waiting all year for it. Quinton Johnston finally has a big week, 14 catches, 206 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he had been very quiet for a guy that we thought could legitimately be in the mix to be the third wide receiver and maybe even push to, to, to get himself right up there with Smith Najigba, and, and Keishon Booty. And we know Booty's year has not went well, but Johnson's year was not really going too well either. This is finally a breakout game performance from him. Uh, a couple seniors that we've talked about a little bit this year continue to impress Rishi Rice. Uh, 12 catches, 122 yards. This is a guy that the, the drumbeat is continually, uh, getting louder and louder as the year goes on. I keep going to the fact that Dane Brilger had him as his number one senior wide receiver. So, you know, Dane's, Dane's plugged in. Uh, that means to me, he's been on the NFL's radar. That means he's going to be, you know, in mobile with Jim Nagy at the senior bowl, You know, Rice is a guy that is not getting talked a lot about, but I I think that's going to change by the time, you know, the the pre draft process ends, if it it hasn't already. A.T. Perry, another interesting guy, five catches, 118 yards in a touchdown. Uh, Those are the guys that kind of stood out the most from this week. Burden, I watched that Alabama game. I know they were missing Bryce Young. Right now, Burden is not looking – when I watch Burden, and every week I watch Alabama. When I watch them play, Burden is not doing anything that jumps off the page at me that makes me think he's around one wide receiver right now. Now, I know the traits are there. We've, we've seen glimpses, but I thought this was going to be a breakout, star-studded year from him, and, and it hasn't materialized yet. Alabama's got plenty of big moments, plenty of big games. Uh, Kayshawn Booty, listen, LSU – I wouldn't even be surprised if he shuts it down at some point. And then, and then we see what the NFL is willing to do with him, right? LSU is struggling mightily. You know, we talked about that higher. We weren't big fans of it. We think that that's not, that wasn't the right play for LSU again, Brian Kelly, but you know, the NFL is going to have to say, do we believe Kayshaun Booty is a guy that we could think could be a bona fide stud like he did years ago it's been a long time since he's been that player and they're going to, they're a GM's going to have to stake his reputation on what we think of that guy. It's not all that different than Singletary. You know, he had great freshman film and then it was, eh, and then missed time. It was COVID. It was this, it was that. And he still went high. Is that what, is that the path that Booty's going to take? I don't know, but there was a lot we wanted to see this year. We're not really seeing it from him. So the NFL is going to be in a little bit of a tough spot there. So Jeff, thoughts on Quentin Johnston, Rice or Perry or Booty or Burden? Uh I feel like there's some interesting storylines here. Uh, you know, from the wide receiver position.
1: Yeah, why don't we do a quick celebration here? Because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And then we're over a month in, and we finally, finally, finally get someone delivering on the hype. And it it's not just you know, some good statistical game. He just, he looked good. And I kind of expect this. I expect more on the stretch run for Quentin Johnson in, in the TCU offense, because they were scheming him looks. He got about three or four different screens. He got a pop pass, like already that's like, you know, half a dozen looks that they really want to just somehow find a way to get the ball in his hands and he created after the catch like that bodes well. It, it bodes well, you know, for them to be able to move their offense in what was a very pivotal big game against Kansas and goodness, the the touchdown catch to win the game at the very end there in that last minute, you know, back of the end zone, laying out, getting the toe down, like that was pretty phenomenal talent right there. It not, not many receivers at the college level can make that catch. I mean, I'd say not even, you know, half the wide receivers at the NFL level are going to be able to make a catch like that. Um, So, and because they put so much effort into giving him schemed looks to really just get him involved, I think TCU sees that when Johnston does well, the offense does well, the team does well. And, and that'll go, um, and that'll be strong. You know, Reishi Rice again. Just he's on a rocket for the the post uh, for the the draft process for his draft stock, and it just keeps going up and I end up. And and we saw a guy like Brandon Ayuk reach round one. So I'm just gonna kind of ride this Reishi Rice rocket while others disappoint, like Jermaine Burton. And I was out here on the pre you know, preseason watch list saying, I really liked Burton. I thought he could be one of the best receivers coming out of this class. And that put me way out on a limb because we hadn't seen enough, right? You, you had harped on, we hadn't seen enough reps from him out of Georgia. And I was saying, you know what, from what I've seen, he's, he's got those tools. I like him. He's in the perfect position to succeed I was I was in over my skis and now now I'm so far out on that branch and I'm seeing this and I I think it's got to we've got to pull that back, right? Uh my you you have to readjust, right? I had so much excitement for Burton and now I I think we've just seen enough new information that that we really have to pull off that hype a little bit. And I, I don't know how I see him – I don't know how I see him being – like translating this into a high level of stardom, let, like let alone for Alabama but even the NFL, right? And and that's sort of what we're, what we're looking for as we we watch these prospects go pro. And so it's one of those things where, you know, despite how excited i was for him i've pulled back quite a bit and and really have tempered a lot of my expectations
0: yeah and the one thing i will say is that is we we try <laughs> to make projections predictions really far out right so like we inevitably go out on limbs and make predictions and projections and Listen, I do think Jermaine Burden, if he declares, is still going to be very intriguing to the NFL teams, right? Like, I still think he would definitely go somewhere on day two. We just said if he produces like we expect him to maybe to this year, we thought he could be in that round one mix. We thought he could be not that far off the top of the, the wide receiver is in round one. But when you look at the guys who go on round two, like he's still got a skill set of a guy who should go on in round two or day two at 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 the at the very least. But but it is one of those things where we we know wide receivers. We know usually there's a lot of wide receivers going in round one this year. Are a bunch still going to go because it's a position that teams want to fill in the draft now because of how expensive it's getting with wide receivers? I I don't know. So maybe some of these guys, you know, if these guys fall out of round one, are they being replaced with other guys? Are they being replaced with like Cedric Tillman's of the world? Are they being replaced with Rishi Rice's of the world? I, I find that hard to believe, but but maybe you know, if teams are, if teams want receivers enough that they, that they push him up the board. And, and like we said, burden's got time because if, if he finishes the year strong, if Alabama wins the national title and he's making big plays in the, in the, you know, the semifinals in the championship game. And when they play Georgia, you know, somewhere down the line, you know, in the sec, there's still moments where he could easily catapult himself right back up into the mix, but kind of like, we finally got that Quinton Johnston breakout game. And I'm not saying that that cures everything that had gone wrong the whole year. We still haven't seen Alabama's receiver group is down this year. So it's not like it's not there for the taking too. And I just haven't seen him live up to what I expected where I thought he was going to seize that, that wide receiver role be the lead guy. It just hasn't materialized yet. I think there's still time there for burden, but, but maybe we have to reset the expectations a little bit and say day two player with room to go either way, still back into the low part around one, maybe at around three, we'll see. Uh, but, but I do, think maybe some resetting of expectations. Do you have any other wide receivers you want to bring up? Is this some watch list guys before maybe you transition over to the Debbie slant?
1: Sorry, I got stuck on mute there. Um, no i actually think let's let's jump right into the debbie slam and you know i think there's you okay you can't you can't not uh highlight a seven for 131 and three day when across the way there's a, a five for 143 in one game and and of course the only pair of wide receivers that we're going to really say who does that right now is you know egg and uh marvin harrison jr and when we said uh cj stroud had six touchdowns i'm pretty sure those guys are going
0: to have monster games
1: right unless is there any specific questions you wanted to ask about those guys paul
0: no i, I just think it, it it just shows you the the factor that they are right it's just like next man up and it's just one after another producing which sometimes what makes it so hard to evaluate cj stroud and sometimes it even makes it hard to evaluate some of these wide receivers because yeah they're really special talented players but like there's so many of them so like i do think it i do think it makes sometimes the evaluation process a little bit tricky but i think these are two guys that we're going to be talking about next year In the preseason, we'll be talking about both these guys as round one caliber type players. Uh, Similar to, you know, I was talking about guys before the season started that were round one type players. They're definitely on that trajectory for sure. And every single week, they just continue to produce at a high level where sometimes the Debbie guys are a little bit up and down, a little bit yo-yoing, underclassmen. But these guys, especially right now with so much of the offense, you know, Filtering through them, these guys are producing at a really high level. And the one thing I will say, them producing at this high of a level consistently, I think has to show that the once super high expectations on Julian Fleming have to be reset because he's had his chance and these guys have seized their chance and he never has.
1: Well, and I just, you said Julian Fleming, but even in my mind, I'm like, I know he's been hurt and stuff, but it's been pretty incredible how quiet and sort of forgotten they've made everybody think about for Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? Who yeah. at one point people said, "Ah, oh, he was the best wide receiver on the field last year for Ohio State. And we saw, we see how great Wilson and Olave are doing at the NFL level. And I'm a little bit questioning, you know, I don't know that I was there and I don't know, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba is the third best receiver on this year's team with the way that Ekbuka and Harrison are playing. Uh, we'll see when he gets back, but he, you know, it's just pretty phenomenal.
0: And, like, and one thing, one thing about that happen. though, if that's true though, how hard is that for NFL evaluators to decide whether or not Jackson Smith and Jigba is worth the top 10 or top 15 or top 20 pick? Cause that was the question people had last year with Olave and Gary Wilson. And if that question now is being asked with two underclassmen, how does the NFL then get gathered at? Cause he's not a speedster, right? He's not going to blow a testing number off, you know, off the combine or anything. And he's not playing much this year. It's going to be a tricky spot. This whole wide receiver group in terms of the twenty twenty three class is going to be fascinating. Uh, but, but bringing up some other guys in in, in the Debbie slant, I know we want to start with those Ohio state guys, but some other names that we want to get to.
1: Yeah. Let's hit, let's hit two at least. And, and if there's time we can circle back to Mario Williams, who's, showing out in USC. But, you know, two names. Uh, one is a, a sort of a welcome to the spotlight party for Evan Stewart. You know, I mentioned him on a, a Debbie podcast yesterday, but he had eight catches, 106 yards for AM against Alabama. So first of all, level of competition. Second of all, he was a highly recruited, you know, class of high school class of 2022. So true freshman stepping in for stepping in the shoes of Anaya Smith, and he's already been somewhat productive on a small level, you know, 50, 60 yards, which from a for a true freshman is great. But but to come out here and, and really like break out in a game, really hit, you know, a high threshold of of the offense, hit hit a hundred yards against this level of competition, it's just one of those ones where you really have to take notice because he's going to be one of those, he's going to be the Marvin Harrison juniors that we talk about next year. Right. And so just a welcome to the party, Evan Stewart, like excited to see Smith is, and I Smith is up for the year. Right. So are, do we see him get featured and does he become a superstar as a freshman? That's, that's what we've, if he does that, I mean, we'll be talking about it for years regardless of whether he has a few setbacks because we always get really excited about that um the other name i just wanted to bring up was quinn ewers who you know it's it's a fascinating story around texas and what that program and its future is but you know ewers actually started playing pretty well at the start of the season and then he got hurt for a little bit and you know we saw texas muddle through that but he comes that he comes back he goes 21 of 31 for 289 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. And I mean he if he is what he was promised to be, right? I think, you know, winner of the Elite 11 or or whenever one of those high school competitions, right? I mean extremely talented touted you know, high school prospect. Didn't we didn't see him much last year, right? He comes in we we don't know what he's going to play like. Right. If he comes in and he, he starts lighting things up, you know, he can vault himself into this conversation of top quarterback of his class pretty quickly here. Um, And so it's one of those things where like, does he come out and do kind of like a Bryce young thing where he propels Texas into the playoffs and he propels them, you know, over an upset of Georgia or something like that. Right. Like, What is what is he going to do this year? Because that could be really really exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, one thing on Stewart, I'll say is what was really impressive about Stewart's performance in that Texas A M game, and I'll get to yours. Is Stewart did that in a close game? That wasn't garbage time. Right, Texas A M battled Alabama this past weekend, and you know Stewart was doing that. And and A and M's quarterback play is average at best, and that might be being generous. So like Stewart doing that with average quarterback play in a close game against Alabama, like you know it, you know I think it was in Tuscaloosa. So like you know there was a lot of factors that made that per, that performance very impressive. And then yours, listen, I don't, I know the Debbie community knows him but the national stage is, doesn't really know Quinn Ewers yet. And they might have, if he didn't get hurt in that Alabama game, because they were going to win that game with Quinn Ewers. I truly believe I watched every second of that game. And if they had Ewers, I think Texas, Texas might win that game comfortably. And by comfortably, I mean, maybe like 10 points, but like they, they were a the better team that day. And then once Ewers got hurt, it just, it just changed the way Texas had to play on offense and then their defense was doing an amazing job. But yours is, I think yours is working his way that I think come next year, we'll be talking Caleb Williams, Drake, May Quinn yours. I think he's, I think he's going to elevate himself and where Texas is bouncing back as a program. I think yours is pushing his way up. To be in that mix with Caleb Williams and Drake May as quarterbacks that are highly regarded, uh, he, he's his athleticism, his arm talent. You know, when I watch him in the early portion of the Alabama game, really close, like very poised for a young quarterback that who's inexperienced. Uh, I'm a big fan of Quinn Ewers. I I think the ceiling is really high. He'd be a guy that I know the Debbie community likes him but i think still you can probably get him now uh especially if it's on a, a non super flex i would want to kind of get quinn ewers on my team now cuz i think the stock is still going to go higher than it is right now
1: yeah am i allowed to be excited more excited about the 2024 class than the 2023 class yet <laughs> cuz when you talk about those three quarterbacks i'm like ooh i might i might put those up against uh Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and you know, i might take the 2024 class if 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 I really had
0: to right and it's just kind of and and let's not forget we talked about it before there's at least a 50 50 chance guys like Van Dyke and Anthony Richardson get pushed to that class too and mm-hmm. yeah we don't know where their development is headed but what if they figure it out next year right like what what if they come back and and all of a sudden everything starts clicking and then you add those guys who we know are toolsy we know they have the physical traits what if you add those guys to this mix, right? So like, there's a lot of allure of of the way this can play out. We we were looking at this class as being a really special class and we sometimes always fall into this. The next one is better, you know, but we knew that last year wasn't going to be the case and we were always looking forward to this year, but things can change in a hurry. And if some of these guys go back and then, you know, maybe there's more question marks about some of these guys at the top, uh, It'll be interesting for sure uh, in regards to that. So it's a, it's a fun group to, to talk about. And I think Ewers is adding his name to the mix there, right up there with Caleb Williams and Drake May. So let's let's take this to the NFL rookie report for this past uh, week of the NFL season. Kenny Pickett got his first start for Pittsburgh. Uh, they went up against Buffalo. That did not go well for the team. Thirty-eight to three, I believe, was the final score. They asked Kenny Pickett to throw the ball fifty-two times in his first game against that Buffalo defense. Uh, he did it for over 327 yards, no touchdowns, and interception. I do think the one thing I will say is. His ceiling, I do think, is substantially higher than a guy like Trubisky. I think he elevates the receivers to a higher level in terms of fantasy. I, I don't think Pickett is more than a than a QB two, even even if he hits that at some point down the line. But but I do think he just raises the skill players in Pittsburgh's offense. Uh, and he's a guy that Pittsburgh right now defense is not what it used to be. Uh, he just brings more to the table. So there was the least board talking about him in his first career start. Brees Hall, I mean, he almost went to Christian McCaffrey DFS special hundred yard bonus in receiving and rushing, uh, ninety seven yards rushing and a touchdown, two catches, hundred yards receiving. He got tackled two other times at the one yard line, and then Michael Carter got the one yard touchdown run. Or we could have just been talking about a monster game. I think the question with Brees Hall starts to become just because we know he's we know he's going to be really good is is where does he start? kind of filtering in, in terms of like dynasty running back rankings. Cause I think it's a fascinating one with the age, the ages of a lot of the really good ones. Like after like, I know Jonathan Taylor's still young, Saquon's still in that mid twenties, but most of the other really good ones are at that like 26, 27, 28 range. You know, if you push that out to like Derrick Henry and stuff. So it's interesting to kind of where to put a guy like Brees Hall, especially with the Javante Williams injury. So I think that's an interesting conversation that we should have sometime down the line. It's Kenneth Walker time in Seattle. Rashad Penny's out the year. Kenneth Walker, eight carries, 88 yards and a touchdown. He will probably give up third down duties to like DJ Dallas or Travis Homer if he comes back or something. But Kenneth Walker is going to see a very heavy volume uh, moving forward in the surprisingly decent offense there in Seattle. Uh, Damian Pierce, 29 touches. I mean, that is what fantasy dreams are made of for, for running backs. And this is a day three guy carrying the workload. Uh, significantly for Houston. And then the wide receiver is George Pickens. I mentioned before Kenny Pickett. I do think Pickens, you're going to see him rise with Kenny Pickett. I think Pickett's going to really push the envelope more than a guy like Trubisky would, and he's going to really get George Pickens going. Khalil Shakir had to step in and be the third wide receiver for Buffalo. He delivered with three catches, 75 yards and a touchdown. And Chris Olave continues uh, to produce four catches, fifty-four yards and a touchdown. But on that touchdown, he did have to leave the game with a concussion. Jeff, I mentioned seven names there. Anything you want to expand upon? Anybody maybe I didn't bring up that you want to bring up, uh, but a couple interesting names there for sure.
1: Yeah, I'll hit it rapid fire. So for Shakir, you know, we talked last week about the the importance of the role of the Buffalo slot wide receiver, you know, without Crowder, without McKenzie. that's that's Shakir. Let's see if He's you Crowder and McKinsey were in a timeshare when they were, you know, in that role. So let's see if Shakir starts working into a timeshare with McKinsey. because that'll get me excited about him. You know, Lave. You know, his concussion. I don't. I don't know how, where that was in the game. Um, he's been great. You know, Pickens. I'm with you. I'll do Pickett and Pickens together. Right. Um, with Pickett, one of the one of the best questions that I think everybody should always ask is, what if we're wrong? Right. Like. Everybody thought Justin Herbert would be, you know, a mid-level quarterback. Nobody thought he'd be a superstar coming out. Right? He had he had so many red flags. You know, with the the air quotes around that. You know, in his in his draft profile. Right? And what if we're wrong about Kenny Pickett? That's that's the only thing that I think people should ask to ask that question. I still don't believe I'm wrong, but. You just have to you have to keep that option an opportunity in mind when you think about the range of outcomes and I'm with you. I think he's going to support more production for the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially pickens we we've seen that when he took over last week. we've seen it a little bit this week. It's not that Chase Claypool isn't going away we're not we're not going to see Pickens take over the way that a guy like wilson or alave really has. I just I think there's too many other too much other talent around that offense that is going to demand the ball, but this is great for Pickens development. That's what we need to see. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say I I this wire receiver class is really interesting. They've been really really good uh in spurts. We haven't seen a lot of consistency, which I kind of think we I kind of think we knew that was going to kind of be the case and it's kind of materializing, but I do think George Pickens might we might see some consistent at least solid production the rest of the year. I feel like that connection that you were talking about and you're right. What if what if he's even what if he's better than we think, right? Like, you know, what if his ceiling and you know, what if his ceiling is more athletic Kirk cousins? Like, or, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're saying he's going to be Justin Herbert, but like he could be better than I give him credit for. But if he is, that's even better. Even if he's not, I do think he can elevate those guys that we were talking about, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch that Pittsburgh offense the rest of this year, uh, especially because they can't get the run game going. Uh, Najee Harris has not looked good. Whether it's the O line, whether it's him, whether it's the injury to him, Uh so there's going to be a lot that falls on Pickett's plate, and he's going to he's going to be he's slinging the ball around the field for sure. Uh, yeah, any t- any of the other rookies you want to touch on?
1: Yeah, I want to touch on the running backs real quick. But one final thought on Pickens, and I don't know that we're throwing the ball 52 times in Pittsburgh every every week.
0: Not maybe. a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe they'll have to. It doesn't matter. But um, what what I see with um some wide receivers i think i mentioned it a couple weeks ago on a pod but on on one of these episodes but um you know i want to see the rookie wide receivers hit a 60 target threshold and i was worried about pickens for a while and that's why i made that Alave trade you know a few weeks back but when we see pickens come through with seven eight eight targets that's really good that spells really good things for him to be able to reach that threshold and i i've wondered A lot about why do we need that threshold why does it matter why is it why does it relate to success and growth and development and and improve production year over year for wide receivers maybe it's just being able to get on the field get nfl reps understand how to win so anyway seeing seeing pickens come out show that he's winning getting earning those targets you know i think it's a great sign i for damian pierce i still raise the caution flag. We cannot say he didn't look good. He looked great, right? He's breaking tackles out there. But it's, I mean, Michael Carter looked really good too. You really just have to approach that with caution. I just, just don't go, don't go too far in would be my only, my, my only caveat. Because you could over invest and you can find yourself in a situation where you don't have the most valuable piece of the backfield just doesn't mean he's not good. Just, just means that he was drafted in day three and NFL teams, regardless of how well they play, sometimes see them as day three guys, right? They don't, it, it doesn't, don't necessarily change the team's mind per se. Um, And, you know, I, I mean, I think you, you did Hall, Gabe Hall, Credence. He's taking over that backfield. He's a must start. He's already in my top, seven 10 dynasty running backs he's he's only going to climb um but if if i can just not get excited one moment for ken walker here i mean his he had a a beautiful beautiful 69 yard touchdown run that gives you everything you need to know about why people are excited to see him and it's tragic that he's got that opportunity on the back of an injury to rashad penny you know, and it, for a player who's been dynamic when he sees the field but has never been able to stay healthy, like I feel for Rashad Penny, but I'm really excited to see Ken, Kenneth Walker. And one of the biggest worries for for Walker was we, we were worried that Seattle wouldn't look competent. Geno Smith is dealing right now. Like, he's a phenomenal passer at this moment. It it, it Tops of a lot of QB efficiency metrics that – grayed out pretty positively and positively correlating to like quality of quarterback play and so it's it's kind of phenomenal to see um like again what if we're wrong right what if we're wrong that seattle is an incompetent offense what's gonna what would that mean what means their running backs or wide receivers are gonna do great and why don't we just since we have them on our list to, to talk to next why don't we just go to the dynasty report and talk a little bit about dk and tyler lockett because you've got them down there and and their stock is still going up yeah
0: i i think i think the question is is should their stock now we universally the fantasy community downgraded them when russell wilson left and we already talked about how they were downgraded way too much and i think there's been enough Enough people who keep ranking up to date probably have corrected the bringing them back to way down low the ranks when Russ Wilson left. But I think the question now starts to become, should they, rank, should they be ranked higher than where they were when last year ended? Because Tyler Lockett is now being used as a full field, all three levels type of wide receiver. And he's, de- he's de- delivering where he was kind of only used as like that vertical slot. And yeah, he had those big games here or there, but it was always inconsistent. Now he's being used, not like Deontay Johnson, but he's getting targets all over the field. It's similar to how Deontay Johnson at times does, even though a lot of his stuff is closer, but now Lockett's still getting the vertical shots at times, but he's now showing that he can be a very effective weapon. Just, uncovering at all levels of the field. So I think Tyler Lockett's stock should be higher now than it was before Russ Wilson left and maybe the same thing can be said about DK Metcalf because as we see Russell Wilson struggling whether it's injury related or not, we see how good Geno's playing and if he's not the answer and highly doubt he is, but at some point they'll get a, another quarterback in there. Maybe that's more level of excitement for these Seattle receivers and in in turn the connection you made, people were a little ho-hum on Kenneth Walker, and it was less about Rashad Penny, and it was way more about this offense is going to be incompetent. They are far from incompetent. So now everything get, gets gets uh, brought back up. DK Metcalf should be a top 12 wide receiver, maybe top 10. Tyler Lockett should be moved back up until at least that probably like 36 to 44 range or something like that probably because of, of, you know, of what he's doing right now. So I, I think all the Seattle pieces now are more, are interesting. And it's crazy to think that now the receivers in particular, maybe should be at a higher level than where they were when pre Russell Wilson trade.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, Tyler Lockett has always been a better player than he's gotten credit for. I mean, he'd seen him twice a year, against the 49ers, my friend's a Seahawks fan too. So I'll watch them, you know, you know, when they play and I'm over at his house too. Um, you know, and I, I don't know that being able to, you know, uncover at all three levels of the field is actually anything new. Um, Cause he's, he's been a deep threat. He's been underneath. He's been, you know, open middle of the field all the time. Um, it's just that when Russ Wilson has a particular target profile that he likes to hit and, you know I think what we're seeing with Gino is that you know he's willing to take the design of the offense and and move the ball around where wherever it needs to go, and that's why you see that that's why you see something that looks a little bit different and and that might be the reason Seattle is willing to walk away with an in, with a draft haul from from denver
0: yeah and they might have been they might have been hiding up some of the deficiencies for Russ and everybody thought it was the other way around. That was universal. What like the universal public thought was Seattle is holding back Russell Wilson. And you know what? I will say this credit to Seattle. Maybe they always knew they were going to trade and move move on from him at some point, but they kept that. They never, they never put the blame on Russ, right? No, nothing ever got out that the reason why they don't do it is because Russ, can't do it or we can't put too much on his plate or you know carol you know pete Carroll said something along the lines of you know gino gino asked what he does what we ask of him almost like a little bit of a dig at at times russell wilson didn't do what we asked him to do or something or or wasn't willing to do what we wanted him to do or something and was too off scripty or something like that but then they did such a good job covering up if that's the case that they were able to get that haul from him, and they might have been said, they might have thought that they already hit their peak with Russ, and he was he was done, and they were kind of covering up for him. And man, if, if that's the case, and then they get all those picks, I mean, they come out looking like geniuses here. Uh, I think it's a little early to to say that Russ is done. I I would be very concerned if I was a Bronco fan, and I'd be hoping that this injury is the reason why he's looked so bad. But uh, but take take Russ out of it. Gino looking so good, and the Seattle offense looking so good, and the Seattle same coach willing to let him play the way he is. I think speaks volumes. So that's a that's a whole separate storyline. But it's just kind of fun to get into when we're talking about Seattle. Uh, well, one last
1: note on yeah. that. Like I mean, I think everybody kind of knew Russ improvised and you know had his little ad lib moments and and sort of took hat. You know, run his office. I mean, you you heard that when Denver brought him in, there. You know, Hackett's like, what off? What offense are you going to run? And Hackett's like, we'll run the what Russell Wilson offense. You know, mm-hmm. um, everybody kind of knew it a little bit. Um, I think what what's the most fascinating thing is you got to watch Thursday night football, and you get like Richard Sherman weighing in there. You get other Seattle, uh, former players in there, and you know when they talk about how, you know, Wilson was somewhat coddled by the front offense, at least at least he was protected somewhat and shielded somewhat from, you know, negative consequences or, or accountability is kind of how they framed it. Right. Is, you know, Russ was a little bit sheltered from accountability and, and that's in the locker room, right. We're talking about like in the locker room there. And I think that's just fascinating um, that it, even then, I still think Seattle, weren't they like offering him a big contract and he just, he kind of said, "No, nah, this is not the place that I want to be." I, that's a fascinating divorce and storyline. I mean, goodness, I, I I don't know that we're we're probably going to get a lot of you know off season stories about that when when people dig in. You're going to get some juicy rumors from Mike Florio wherever he gets his sources or however trustworthy those are, you know. But you know that you're just going to ha- it's going to be a fascinating topic that we'll we'll read about you know for the next year or so.
0: Yeah, for sure. And as a Giants fan, I was excited when it came out that he turned down Philadelphia, right? He had no trade clothes. He didn't want to be there. Now I would love to swap and give, give Philadelphia Russell Wilson and have Jalen Hurts be somewhere else as a giant, the Giants fandom in me. How crazy has that, that I'd be, I'm more scared of Jalen Hurts from Philadelphia than I would be if Russell Wilson was there. That was not what I would have been saying just five, six weeks ago, uh, for sure. But things change quickly in the NFL. Uh, let's do a little rapid fire here to close out the pass catchers. I had Gabriel Davis as a guy that. Not a heavy volume. I don't maybe he's never gonna be, but this week at least showed those, that big play potential. Three catches, 171 yards and two touchdowns. I still think people are a little down on him, especially people who are looking for like the higher target share. Might be a window to buy him. I know maybe not off the breeze, 171 and two. But if he has a ho-hum week, I still think where he was before the season to where he is right now, I still think his his value is decreased. I would still use it as an opportunity to maybe buy him a little bit lower. Uh just that the the roles in that Buffalo offense so valuable. Elijah Moore, I watch a lot of the Jets here, obviously in New York, also, even though they're not my team I follow. Elijah Moore, I know I like the player Elijah Moore, but I think people got a little bit overzealous with. Their Elijah Moore love. And this year, we're kind of seeing very not an integral part of right now the offense. Like he has, you know, there's been weeks that's been Garrett Wilson, there's weeks that's been Corey Davis. You know, Elijah Moore hasn't had anything really jump off at you yet, or anything that at least says like his time, his moment is coming. Is he just kind of the third fiddle there for this year? occasionally maybe pop up. I I think people were expecting him to kind of develop into like a solid wide receiver re type this year with upside. I I think we, I think we got to hold back a little bit on, on that. And then at the tight end position, David Njoku is rising fast. And my question is, is he right there? Does he deserve to be right there in the mix in that tier where most people in the dynasty community who do dynasty ranks, after the top tier has Goddard, Hawkinson, Fryer Moot. I kind of feel like Najoko should be right nipping on their heels to join that tier. Maybe we got to see a little bit more of it, but from a talent perspective, this is the guy who warranted going in round one, similar to a bunch of those other guys that we just talked about. Fryer went round two, Hawkinson went round one, Goddard went round two. So they they have the draft pedigree. He's got the athletic profile. Now it's finally all clicking for him. We've seen tight ends take time to develop. Maybe that's what it is. The light finally clicked on. He he was a very, I think he was 20 years old when he was drafted. So he's still extremely young. I don't know if there's another tight end after, you know, besides those guys I mentioned that I would say I'd rather have than him. And if that's the case, then he should be right there in that mix. You know, I guess that would put him in that like tight end eight, nine range. Do you think that's where he should kind of be looked at right now in in terms of tight end ranks, or maybe you're still a little bit more want to see more consistency, a little bit wider of a, you know, a a production profile from him before maybe you're ready to put him there. Tight ends so shallow that,
1: you know, you do anything for a
0: couple of weeks and you rocket
1: yourself (laughs) in the top five, six, seven or five, eight or so. You're going to get a bunch of guys who do disappearing acts, and joke. Who's going to be doing disappearing acts, you know, for a couple of weeks here too. And, and, we might just there wasn't anything about his level of play when I watched that game that um, stood out as something that was transcendently different and different maker like you see for a kittle or a pitts or a Goddard. So in my mind, he's going to be in that productive tier below those top talents. Um, and one final just thought, you know, maybe with Elijah Moore, it's you know, the sad thing is, it's going to be, um, I'm just going to have to file him under talented players that, you know, somehow don't have the production role fit of their offense. And unfortunately, you know, like Brandon, Ayuk, wind up being, you know, really talented players that you're buying in and and waiting for a while on. And, and I think that's just where Elijah Moore is going to be for a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm right there with you. And let's, let's round it out with some running back talk. Cause I think there's some interesting things here to close out the show with tonight. Ramondre Stevenson, 25 carries, 161 yards after Damian Harris goes down. I still think there's a buy window on Ramondre Stevenson, even coming off of this great week. I Sometimes I don't know, even in the dynasty setting, I do think sometimes a lot of people don't have longer foresight don't do the due diligence at times like uh, Damian Harris is not going to be on this football team after this year. Like I don't, I would say almost 95 to 99%. He's going to be gone. He's a free agent. They're not giving him a contract after this year. They drafted a plethora of running backs in the last draft, you know, from, uh, I'm turning the guy's name from the small school. Uh, I know it was Kevin Harris later. They drafted, um, if you have your Pierre hit, strong, you know? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre strong, Kevin Harris. Like they, they, they added young talent to that position. Stevenson, I think is the guy they look at as being the starter after this year. I think people are still looking at him as like a messy committee, new England backs, produce in fantasy. Like there's this misnomer that they're annoying at times. But we, we've seen Lagarde Blunt produce. We've seen, you know, Damien Harris last year, monster touchdown production. They produce in the ground game, and I think Ramondre Stevenson is a guy that is not maybe getting enough attention as a guy who could be an RB two, three this year, but then next year even have a more solidified role when Damien Harrison's out. Uh, Travis Etienne, I would use this as a buy low window. It still may exist split touches, but he's been more productive each of the last two weeks than than James Robinson. This week Travis Etienne had 13 touches, 114 yards. I don't think Robinson's going away. I think he's a good back. We've talked about him. But I also think Travis Etienne this adds a different level of big playability that I do think people are down on it because he's not he didn't take seize that opportunity yet to get a bigger portion of that workload. But I still think uh He's a buy right now. Antonio Gibson, I mean, light a candle. I mean, he's done. To me, he's done right now having fancy value without an injury there. They didn't want him to be the guy in preseason. He had to be due to circumstances of Brian Robinson. Uh, They started giving touches to uh, Jonathan Williams a a couple weeks ago. Now Brian Robinson's back. Gibson only had a couple touches yesterday. His promising fr- rookie year which I was all in on Antonio Gibson seems so so far ago that uh, unless a change of scenery kind of opens the door for him Gibson's fantasy value to me is at an all-time low i would i would I would get rid if there's anyone that still is intrigued with him and you can get anything of substance i would i would I would bail on him right now. Uh, the buy window is back open for Khalil Herbert in dynasty leagues. I believe my Damian Harris stance about percentages. Like I can say the same thing about David Montgomery. I do not think he'll be back in Chicago next year. A rebuild team is not going to uh, use decent money on a on a free agent running back. I think they move on from him. I think Herbert gets every chance. I'd be buying Khalil Herbert wherever I can. And Nick Chubb. I mean, we did. I feel like he just doesn't get enough credit for arguably being the best running back in football. Kareem Hunt's going to be gone after the year. Uh, I I think maybe he should be higher on dynasty ranks and myself included when I, when I revisit it, I just think we don't realize just how good he is. And then with Deshaun Watson coming in, what if that offense is just awesome the rest of this year late. And more importantly, you know, if Deshaun Watson is fully back being what we used to what Deshaun Watson used to be next year, you know what if that what if that browns offense is a great offense for the next couple of years with Nick Chubb leading the way all, and Deshaun Watson you know he might have a couple monster years where even more i mean maybe 20 touchdown type seasons with no Kareem Hunt there and if Deshaun Watson is the old Deshaun Watson uh so i think Nick Chubb maybe should be a little bit higher across the board in dynasty ranks uh, i feel like PPR value has always been something that people have been hesitant because he doesn't do much in the past game. Uh, but really, it never stopped us from loving Derrick Henry. So I, I'm starting to feel like maybe Nick Chubb should be right there uh, with the same way we've loved Derrick Henry over the last couple of years, even in the Dynasty community.
1: Yeah, well, um, Nick Chubb is is a common name around around my household here. It's the one that one that my wife knows. She's always said, and oh, no, Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, because um, <laughs> I've always been you know, a huge fan of his. Um, and and yeah, I I think I'm even guilty about it too. Mostly because NFL talent doesn't always equal directly correlated to fantasy points. Mostly because of nuances in whatever format you play, especially like PPRs, right? So you get a guy like DeAndre Swift who is not even you know who's who's not there on the on a Nick Chubb talent level, and he's going to outscore him at times because he's going to get. A lot of work in space and that's what they do. Nick Chubb creates his own space and that's why he's so electric. And honestly, I think the one thing, the one underrated aspect of, of that, where, you know, people might buy into the the fantasy production lens of a guy like DeAndre Swift, whereas, you know, I'll buy into the talent lens of a, of a player like Nick Chubb because that talent uh, extends the longevity of, of their careers, right? There are some players Especially at the running back position, it's it's very few that are so good that they transcend the 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 rules of of the value of the position, right? That they can play well and and productively and and still be featured all the way through their second contracts, right? Players that you'll hear their names for six, seven, eight years, maybe even longer, right? And and for a running back, like you're used to seeing that for like three, four, five years, maybe tops, right? And so you can get a guy like Nick Chubb, who's four years in now and and is is kind of going in and he could do another four more years. I, I mean, I think that's phenomenal uh to get out of that, you know, to get that much that many years of production out of a pick like that. Um, so yes, Nick Chubb will always be somewhat high in my ranks because I still believe he's going to even older for a running back. He's so talented that he's going to be able to deliver for you. It's just, you do have to have a little bit of a tempered ceiling because unless we see him get used by Cleveland, um, in a way that, you know, Tennessee uses Derrick Henry, who's even, you know, we're even seeing Henry get schemed some screens and some passing game usage, right? Like I would kill to see Nick Chubb get 30 carries and five targets because that offense already looks good without Deshaun Watson. And it's because Nick Chubb is so talented. Um, And if they, I mean, it's not, not Kareem Hunt's really good too, but I just think if, if we saw, if we saw Nick Chubb get used like Derrick Henry, um, we would be talking about a legendary player basically. I have, I have one final thought and you can just kind of wrap it up and, and close this out and take us home from there. But you, you talked about selling Antonio Gibson for anything you've got. Do you hold any hope that he can somehow find, I mean, we've seen him produce um, at both running and passing and as a receiver and everything. Do Do you hold any hope of him being able to land in a new situation and produce next year?
0: I mean the thing is he's still on a rookie deal making no money the skins I mean the skins the commanders don't really have that much incentive to kind of kick him to the curb so my guess is he sticks around and that's the worst thing right two more years on his rookie contract I I don't envision a scenario where they don't think he's at least worthy of being around because he is an athletic player who came out as more receiver than runner and then they kind of just pigeonhole them to mostly be a early down runner. Maybe they look at, you know, making him just a pass catcher and move on from McKissick. And if they, you know, and if they wanted to, or something like that down the line, but I think there's, my guess is they won't move on from him because he theoretically could back up McKissick and he could back up Brian Robinson or pick another running back. Right. So he does have the ability to be a backup to both. There, like, if you want to call him a committee, he can play both roles. So that is valuable to a team and the roster. I just don't think that they look at him as a guy, and maybe there's something that they see behind the scenes in terms of just getting it or whatever the case may be. They haven't wanted to make him an integral part of the passing game, which we always thought was going to be his bread and butter we we we've seen the lack of natural run instincts at times i don't think you have to be like a great talent evaluator to just watch the commanders and watch gibson at times and yeah he put up stats at times it never meant like he you know you watch nick chubb we talked about like best running back instincts probably in football and then you watch antonio gibson and obviously it leaves a lot to be desired so, I just don't know if they're going to get rid of him. He's a third round pick. It's the same regime. Like, teams don't usually cut bait that quickly. And he has been at least a productive or functional player at times in the NFL. I just think he's kind of fallen out of favor, kind of like almost like Darius Slayton with the Giants, if I want to use an analogy. Darius Slayton had a really good. Uh, rookie year that most people thought he was going to materialize into a solid starting number two type wide receiver for the giants. Maybe in fantasy, that was going to not be that great, but maybe wide receiver four or five or something. Obviously Gibson stock was higher as a running back for sure. Who we don't was basically going to be an RB one last year or or worse high RB two, but, but the giants never got rid of Sladen, Right. And even now he kind of has emerged from the dead and he might be their best wide receiver for like the next, who knows, Uh, So I don't think they're just going to get rid of him. And that kind of is why if somebody still wants to buy the idea that he last year was being traded for first round rookie picks, you know, before last season started and you could still get something, you can maybe get trade Antonio Gibson in your third round pick and get like a mid second or something. I don't know if that's feasible. Like maybe you have somebody in your league that that's willing to, to do something like that, or a low two or something. If, if you kick back like a fourth or a fifth or something, you know, I would touch base with your teams in your league and your owners in your league and, and just see, you know, I did, I personally sold him last week before Brian Robinson actually got activated because I just kind of seen the writing on the wall, like everything they've, everything they've done since the end of last season has basically been to diminish his role. And I just don't see it there. But at the same time, I also don't see them cutting bait and just letting him go to another team when he's making almost no money and he's still got two years under control. So we're waiting a while for him to get free. And it's not like waiting for like Alexander Madison to get free. Like, you know, that he has a lure to get a starting job. If if Gibson kind of just goes to this diminished role for the next couple of years, uh, I don't think another team is going to be banging down the door to give him this integral role, but who's to say he doesn't eventually materialize like Cordell Patterson has, like, right? It takes maybe it takes a different coach and maybe it's this offense and this scheme. And I don't think Ron Rivera is the most creative guy. And if, if he was with Brian Dable, I'm sure Brian Dable and Mike Kafka and other guys in the league would know how to maybe utilize the skill set. Uh, I, I just think you're leaving the light. We're, we're leaving the light on for a destination change. And that might be a couple of years down the line. Yeah, you have any, yeah. any, any thoughts on that? I know I, I kind of, you know, there's a lot there with Gibson to kind of unpack any, anything that you maybe want to follow up from just what I said before I close it up.
1: Well, like you said, you know, who's, who are you going to maybe hold a candle for, for, you know, that opportunity opening up. So maybe it's, gibson for khalil herbert now that montgomery's back maybe something like that but yeah if
0: if i could trade if i could trade gibson right now for madison or herbert in any dynasty league i do it instantly and i would even kick back like a pick if i had to like a third or fourth because i do think next year there's a there's a big a much greater chance that alexander madison or khalil herbert produce rb2 value and are starters for fantasy than, than than Gibson is so I I would those are the type of things that I'd be looking to do uh, and try to get ahead of now before you know if in a couple of weeks he's not even active on game days I wouldn't be stunned I, I really wouldn't because I know they tried to make him a kick returner so unless they go there he doesn't really play special teams so like I, I, you know we'll see we'll see I would love to see him be a more active role in the passing game because I did think that's where he can shine but they just they just don't seem to want to do that with him. Uh, I'm sure we'll revisit him in another Dynasty stock report at some point later in the year. So there it is, guys. The NFL Draft Stock Report for this week, the Debbie Slant, the NFL Rookie Report, and the NFL Dynasty Report uh, for these past weekend of football. If you're enjoying the content, please get over to the website SS Football, the fastest and quickest and most efficient way to get there. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all our scouting profiles, our notebooks, uh, the rankings notebook, the, the draft projections notebook in, in April, uh, closing into the draft season, uh, the scouting notebook, all of our information. Uh, please check it out. Is this the best way to support us and continue to help us do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday? So on behalf of Jeff. On behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.